Hello, this is Daniel Veja with Behind the Story Podcast. I'm going to continue and hopefully finish talking about Survivor Series 97. And what makes this perfect, even though we're in the month of December, what makes this topic perfect is that everybody knows about what happened at the end of this pay-per-view. So I love I love when everybody when it's something everybody has talked about at one point or another. It already I'm gonna continue. Uh I thought I was talking I thought the last time I saw Survivor Series ninety seven was whenever I spoke about Kurgan um, and his team against all four members of DOA and I'm not even going to play the um, the audio like you usually do because I just want to talk about what's happening in the in the ring. So play this. I really don't know the difference between uh, the headbanger, headbangers, uh, I believe that, um, okay, Billy Gunn's in the ring now, against one half of the headbangers, Irish whip into the corner, runs into a big boot by Mosh, I believe, runs it, and then Mosh comes right at him with the clothesline, knocks him down. I think there's Jim Ross saying, oh my goodness. Saying, and I knocked down. So the gun caught right in the face there with that clothesline. Yeah, it's Marshall, right? And I can tell by seeing interviews with them. On, uh, for instance, um, yeah, on the life and uh, death of the uh, Road Warrior Hawk. Which would be, of course, Road Warrior DVD. Hawk, I mean, Billy Gunn caught Mosh, hit him with, of all, he caught him in midair with, of all things, um, does like he's gonna give him an atomic drop, but instead he just slams him. Then, I believe his partner's name is Draws. So, yeah, he looks just like, I believe, yeah, he's Draws. Looks just like Draws Dove because. When I saw, I remember seeing him, Road Warriors DVD, and this is what he looks like. Yeah, that's Jaws, alright. They tagged in Phineas Godwin, he's in there now. Right now, uh, Billy got the, um, New Age Outlaws, and one half of the Godwins have the one-man advantage now. His name is Thrasher, but I'm I'm 150% sure that he's uh that he's draws. He just did a thumb literal thumb to the eye. They went for a wrist lock now, which is the most wrestling offense I've ever seen of the headbangers. Bites. Um, I'm sorry if I spoke about this already. I don't really remember everything I spoke about. 
fighting the fa- fighting the hand of a uh, Phineas. It's like I I know I've said I know there's a lot I haven't seen, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> I've seen biting the hand. I've seen uh, I'm not really sure all all the tricks that people can think of. Seen biting the hand, biting an ear once, but never biting a finger. Phineas is trying to go for reverse um, wrist lock on draws or Thrasher. Gets um, gets it turned on him. Wrist lock of his own, hammer lock by Thrasher, then a roll up. One, two, kick out. He's reminding him how close that was to make to sending him to the back. Lock up. See what uh see if he's able to do anything against Thrasher. Side headlock by Thrasher, good. Irish whip, shoulder block takedown, run, right over the back of Phineas, blocks hip toss by Phineas, and throws Henry, then throws Phineas with hip toss of his own, he gets pushed around by the boots by him, by Phineas, and he pushes him off with his own boots, and he goes for an arm drag, takes him down into an arm bar. Getting to his feet. Puts him right into the corner. I think I might have mumbled that, so let me repeat that. Pushes him right back into the corner. Pretends like he's going to do a clean break, then he hits him right in the chest with his hand. Elbow right over the neck, gets him down to two knees. Asha gets up. Going for, he was going to go for body slam and then. Thrasher goes around him, turns him around, kick, it pulls him right down to the mat, face first. Goes to the top rope. Time we see this is in tag team matches where, oh yeah, that is like a fast press from the top rope. One, looks like two, three, eliminates uh, Phineas. Uh, Rodolf comes in, hits him from the back. Irish whip, reversal, hip toss by Thrasher, slug, tags in Bradshaw, kick him to the gut, Irish, actually he chops him first couple of times, three times, then let's go, other hand, let him fall, follows him into the corner, kicks him straight in the face. Short arm, clothesline, gets it. He goes for that wrench suplex, perfectly. Perfectly executed. Kick him to the back. 
turned around, you have to go like on, you have to go like on tabs on the back. Perfect, uh, that was a perfect, um, trap because, uh, Road Dog rolled up Bradshaw. That could have been an elimination, but I'm not sure. Yeah, it was a pinfall, but I thought Bradshaw kicked out before three. Anyway, the referee said that he was eliminated, so he has to go to the back. Okay, back in there goes Thrasher. So it means that he has to eliminate both Road Dog and Billy Gunn. He got him three or four straight right hands in the corner to Road Dog. The fifth one, he goes down to his knees. He's holding onto the ropes so he won't. So he can try to get to Billy, he doesn't do him any good. He gets kicked in the neck by Thrasher. Stops his momentum. Irish whip, reversal, kick into the back. The Thrasher goes down by Billy Gunn. Billy Gunn turns around, pose. Let's see. Let's see what goes on. Picks him up, Irish whip by Road Dog, reversal by Thrasher. Put his head down for a back body drop. Road Dog goes for the um, commando slam. It's, I guess, no. Countered by with the hip toss by Thrasher. Tag, line tag by Billy Gunn, Irish whip. See, now he goes for it. Reversal, but Billy comes. Boom. Leg drop. Was executed. Looks like two, three. They win. Sole survivors of this match were Billy and Billy Gunn and Road Dog. New Age Outlaws. Well, at this point, I think they were just, um, they were just Billy Gunn and, uh, Road Dog. I don't think they gave them a name yet. Going into this match, as I said last time, going into this match, the two biggest rivalries were the um, mock or uh, Thrasher and his partner against Road Dog and Billy Gunn. So, but it really felt good for the character of Billy Gunn to get that pinfall. Is the only people they really had problems with in this match. <clears throat> Let's see. So how comes the next uh, match? Looks like Frenchmen with uh, it's called the Truth Commission with red berets they're all dressed the same way. They, uh, let me not say French. They almost look like uh, Germany. Um, Kurgan right here is called the interrogator.
I really am trying to find the right way of saying this. Um, when JBL would go overseas, he would do things like do a Nazi salute, and it would cause controversy because of the history of the Nazis. Well, when you see videos of the Nazis, by the way, DOA and their partners all came out in uh, motorcycles. You had guys like 8-Ball and Skull. Well, 8-Ball and Skull, I believe, one of them is definitely Brian Adams slash Crush. Um... DOA is actually um, the Harris Brothers. So I know I watched this match. I just don't remember talking about it on this podcast episode. So that's why I'm doing this. Um, first time I ever see this. I've seen people like, for instance, The Undertaker drive their motorcycles around the ring and park it. I never saw them go around the ring and they would go on the side of the barricade and park it. That was something I'd never seen before, so it, uh, it was very, I thought it was kind of strange to be honest with you. Because they had more than one motorcycle, I think that's why they did that. Starting out in a big melee to start this match. Brady's throwing right hands against uh, the Truth Commission. The only one getting good in this exchange from the Truth Commission is the interrogator. I mean, he may have been seven feet tall, but. It's still small for for uh still looks slim for a for a man that is seven feet tall. And then, yeah, this was Crush slash Brian Adams, all right. Right hand, right hand, two, three, the old fashioned. Well, he's trying to go for ten right hands in the corner against uh, Kurgan or the interrogator. They called him. It got thrown, literally thrown off. So, uh, only good thing that happened was when he turned around and he got out the way, Kurgan hit himself in the corner. Only good thing that happened. Or what? Brian and Adams did, or anybody really wouldn't do a good job. Sidewalk slam to crush, two, three. Right here is called Chains. So the Paris Brothers double team him. 
So they start, so the interrogator tags in on the regular sized man. Guy's name is Recon, Irish with to one half of the Irish Brothers. Clotheslines him. This guy's called Jackal, I believe. Picks him up straight down like the Mark Henry's finisher, real strong slam. Gives that to one half of the Harris brothers. Tags in. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what this guy's name is. Goes for an e drop. Gets it, but no effect on one half of uh, the Harris brothers. Chop, no effect. Chop, no effect. So, right hand, two, three, right hands, Irish whip. Now he goes for a sidewalk some of his own. Turns him around, looks like two, three. First elimination goes to this, uh, not sure what, how did it call him? But he's called the Jackal, I'm not sure how to describe him. And the next guy gets thrown into corner, kicks the Harris brother away from him, goes to the rope, comes with almost like a, uh, you see this, we used to, I used to see something like this from both Devon and then later on I saw National Treasure Nick Aldis do this when he was a part of the British Invasion. He would come off the top rope almost like a, uh, corkscrew uppercut and that's what this reminds me of not an uppercut but it is an elbow and it's done in the form of almost like a corkscrew hooks the no cover two kick out of one half of the Irish brothers fight headlock Irish whip out of it misses the clothesline cover after cross body press kick out by the Irish brother again kick by uh I don't know who this guy is, what this guy's name is. Sorry, I just forgot. Right hand to the guy coming off the top rope. Right in the stomach, he goes straight down. Throw into the corner, he tags in. Uh... Okay, so whoever that guy was that was eliminated wasn't Brian Adams. So now it's Brian Adams, I'm positive of it. Hmm, leg drop. After he gets down that member of the Truth Commission. Rich Whip. Miss block. He gets blocked. He gets blocked of a hip toss himself. He blocks the hip toss and goes for the old fashioned belly. The belly suplex. Six to leg two. Kick out by whoever this member is. Irish whip. Back body drop. The guy tries to land on his feet. He lands on his butt instead. He covers himself up by standing up and going for what Deuce, Deuce Shade slash maybe Slicka Jr. used to call a hook kick. Knocks down one half the Irish brothers. Side headlock. Took ropes. Thrown off. Shoulder block. 
knocks down Aaron's brother. He rolls out. So his brother goes in there to fool everybody. He's measuring him for something. Hmm. Clothesline. Next leg, two, three. Six right hand forearms by the guy that went in for the truth commission over one half of the Harris brothers. Irishwood duck catches them from face lock into an egg breaker, hooks leg to kick out. Tags back his brother in. Tags his brother back in, excuse me. Double Irish whip. Picks them up. Slam. Used to, they used to use this in WCW as a finisher. So I know this is going to end it to... It would have ended it if the interrogator hadn't have, hadn't have uh, been halfway in the ring. So the referee had to tell him to stay on his side. And when he, did, when he made the count, it took too long. So that guy in the ring, the legal man in the ring kicked out. Irish whip. Knocked in the back of the neck by the interrogator. Bulldog. Looks like two, three. So whoever that was, skull or eight ball gets eliminated. Yeah, the, the, from all the names they could use for the Harris brothers and the DOA, group, they decide um, to call one eight ball and the other skull. Schwip into the corner, close line, like some now. Alright, that mare take down, elbow. See, goes over to the corner. Is that a tag? I don't know. Okay, tags in Brian Adams. Goes in there. Double X handle standing up over the legal man of the Truth Commission. Vertical suplex. Cut. Two. Kick out. like a head scissors um and gets he gets up and he puts the guy in front of face lock and he tags in um eight ball I think was the name they called him or skull well I do think his name is probably eight ball right here Thrust, double thrust to the throat, knocks down the legal opponent from the commission. Irish whip, 
interrogator DDT. He gets picked up right away. Uh, sidewalk slam. So like two, three. Okay. Now. Goes a mistake for um. Not sure. Still not sure what they call him the sniper maybe. Not crush. Crush gets in there. That's not a good idea. He should have waited to see the interrogator interrogator wanted to do. Interrogator tags in his partner, fast partner that uh, Crush has to eliminate to stay in the match. Kick and a right hand from the legal man. Irish whip reversal by Crush. Hmm. Looks like a power sign. Looks like two, three. Now, time for the interrogator to do one more sidewalk slam. Looks like two, three. Win the match. Boston was being interviewed by, about his neck problems and Kevin Kelly is standing there. They promote the AOL website for the WWF. Promoting it all the places, all the countries you can um, locate it at. Said, he said, "Are you people have been asking me? Are you concerned about my neck?" He said, "Darn right I am." It's I think he said it's either sleep or swim. Always takes a while for the uh, for the. Pause. The pause and the play button always hides what the full sentence that comes up on the screen. I'm waiting for it to uh, waiting for it to just go away. Okay, they say from Canada, France, England, Germany. You say he doesn't say through. So you gotta do things to go on. I find it amazing 
Interesting, really. How after a few, uh... Few months after he hurts his neck and starts the, um... He starts what will become... Will become what he's known for with Vince McMahon because he had to... After winning the title, after hurting his neck, then he won the title subsequently after that. So they had to take the title away from him. And he decided through the tournament and when it was time to determine the number one contender, which I'm going to talk about later on in this podcast. Because I'm going to go back to talking about uh, Royal Rumble and um, the Road to WrestleMania 14 after I'm finished with this. So that's when it all started. And I always wondered why the heck did they let him do that? Giving Vince McMahon the stunner, why did they let him do that? And he had said, simply put, that was just an idea they came up with because it was something that, if you, it's something that had never been seen before. And it goes all the way back to the Crockett days. Um, anytime they would show Jim Crockett Jr. on TV, he would bring up something to do for something to do with business involving horsemen in some capacity. It was to the point that one time Tully told him, "You have another check to cancel or something," because they had financial problems, and they. That was his way of bringing it on TV because they wanted to make it look as real as possible. And this first time when anybody was known as a real life president of a company or really the boss, so to speak, first time that their character, that they're on, if they have an on screen character, Steve Austin giving his finisher to Vince McMahon out of anger was the first time that it had ever been done before. So it was really shocking, and I always wondered, what are they thinking? And I know that they were just thinking that because he was so popular, they had to give the fans, they had to use him because he's the most popular. And when you don't know any better, you're going to act like that going to be excited for things like that. I never got excited for that as a fan because there's no point in doing that. What I got excited for was anytime I knew he was going to have a fight or a match. I I did not like Steve Austin's character but I always knew the fighting was going to be good in the ring. That's what I liked about Steve Austin was he brought a level of believability with him. That's why he and Bret Hart worked so well together. Um, Mm -hmm. Jim Ross is saying thank you. 
And he talks about the karate fighters presenting. Oh. And they show all the fans having fun in some way. No? You mean there's two ways of looking at this. One way is we're looking at what used to be or we're looking at what can be again. We don't know when people will be able to jam-pack arenas, but we believe it will happen again. Anyway, they show what happened last Monday with Ken Shamrock, I believe, or Steve Blackman, helping out Vader. And, uh, bunch of Canadians and uh, Jim Neidhart stomping on uh, Vader. I think they said they got arrested. Um, Vader went to Commissioner Off, Commissioner Sergeant Slaughter and asked for Steve Blackman to join him. I think Big E was in the front row of that show. Yeah, that was him. Interesting. Mark Miro, Vader, um, Goldust, I think, and then of course, uh, Steve Lackman. Said they don't have much in common except we don't like big mouth Canadians trash talking Americans telling us how to think, telling us what to do, telling us how to act. So tonight, yeah, it's time. It's time to get bad. It's time to get back. And oh, yeah, Team Canada, they're tough when it's four on one, but tonight, look around you, Team Canada. Four against four. Now Michael Cole's doing the interviews. He asks uh, Steve Lackman something. Steve Blackman was in there as a fan. So he, when he climbed over the barricade, I was just going back where he was sitting, but he had to leave. He said he's ready.
he said that he's you know he's not experienced in the ring, but he's experienced in every other form of fighting, so he believes he's ready. Sorry it took me so long to come back to this. I was try I was focusing on how to help my podcast. And I was trying to see if I could uh I could afford to go on a community. And now I'm, I'm sorry it took me so long, but I'm glad I came back. Hmm. Plus then at the time whenever Gold Dust decided yeah, remember now. This was after He's told, um, remember now, he's actually told Terry that he had, that he was through with being with her and that he had to find, he, he said in so many words, because he lived his life for everybody but himself, he had to find a new him. So even though he was still gold dust, their paint was dead for everything. Ooh, he was, yeah, the letters F-U painted on the right and left cheeks of his face. Something not good right here. Hmm. Yeah, the Bulldog, the Anvil. Don't know the other two, but I think I've seen them before. Doug Furness, that's exactly what I thought it was. Bulldog, Jim Daniel Nyhart, Doug Furness, and Bill LaFont. They have been year they have been a tag team for years, so not a surprise to see them again. This first time to see them actually with one of the two of the members of the the Hart family. Usually they would go against like either Owen Hart and the Bulldog or one of, or at least those types of people. So see them team up with two members of the Hart family, surprising to see and I'm actually glad to continue talking about this because I realize how much um what is how much it can be uh much I can find out just by doing this. They said Jim Nightheart was from Reno, Nevada. Maybe that's where he lived. But um he grew up in Canada if I'm not mistaken. 
And I think it was back in March of this t- year where, or late February, where Anvil said that Bret Hart's um, promo against America was so good that that's what turned them into hills in America. So by the time I think it was hard for, um, I think by that time it was hard to know what to make of, uh, Bret Hart or even his, um, no, I think it was just hard to know what to make of Bret Hart. So when he cut that promo, it's easy to see that he was a full-blown heel by this time. Okay. But they said he didn't become a full-blown heel until he refused to let go of the sharpshooter against uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Romero th- throws whatever he's running around his head at the Bulldog. Okay, few rights and lefts against the Bulldog, Irish whip, shoulder block, knocks down Mark Miro, Irish whip, I mean, hip toss, then a drop kick by the Bulldog. Black man may not have known, may not know karate, but he knows martial arts. So that's not a good tactic to use. That was not a good tactic to use to mock uh, Steve Blackman like that. Lock up, go back in there. Hold on. Uh, wrist lock, tags invader, it climbs to the middle rope, axe handle, two bulldog, right hand, right hand, your right hand, short arm, clothesline, gets him, locks him straight down, poses against the, uh, the rest of the opponents. Irish whip to the corner, to the ropes goes Bulldog, avalanches him, knocks it to knock him out, go middle rope, round drive him to a power slam, Let's see, goes for vertical suplex, gets it, tags in, I'm not sure which one it is, Philip maybe, LeFon? Few rides after kicks, reversal, Irish whip by Vader. Valencia's hand right into the corner. Tags back in Mark Miro. Right, left. Irish whip. Yeah. Let's see. Then the knee lift. Yeah. Few rights to the to the other opponents. Irish whip, reversal, spin kick. Right hand, all three opponents of Mark, the clothesline to Mark, knocks him down only for a two count. Tags him to Anvil. Ooh, 
the right hands of the anvil. So then an uppercut right there. Tags in a Phillips upon. Goes over him. Right hand, right forearm to the back of the neck. Tags in, tags in Steve Blackman. Kick to uh, Philip Fon, then right hand, right hand, drop kick. Hmm. And holds his hand, throw it right over the ropes. It's back in there. Drown with the uh, the old um, Buddy Landale finisher, the uh, elbow, running elbow drop where he think they did refer to it as a, a spinning elbow or a um yeah a spinning elbow is the closest thing to call it but Philip Lafon kicks out Irish whip reversal by Philip Lafon lead to the gut DT so leg on to kick out the shoulder up reversal Whatever you want for he missed. Countered by Philip Lafon. Well, going for some type of crucifix fan too. Kick out by Steve Blackman. Ducks that kick. I think he just thrusted him down. Kick to Phillips' partner, then right. Handling all of them with kicks and rights. And laps. Body drop over the top rope. Boom. Lands on the mat, but he rolls himself onto the concrete. Now, they're triple teaming him. I'm saying this could be considered either a count out or a disqualification. Raiders going to him like, what's the matter? Yeah, I think he might have gotten counted out. Raider might have decided to get into the ring. Oh, Mark decided to get back in there against the anvil. X handle over the back. Whatever they fell right hand up. Side of the face, excuse me, Irish whip. Mark was out of the way, roll up to kick out. Clothesline by the anvil. See. Middle roll, misses the splash. Tags in Vader. Irish whip. Clothesline knocks down Vader. Goes around. Pushes him down with the thrust. Cover to kick out. Irish hmm. whip. He gets avalanched by Vader. Elbow. Ooh. He did think he could have hurt him. I hope he. No, I know he couldn't have hurt him. Slash. Looks like two, three. Eliminates the anvil. 
let's uh, fill up the fun. I believe it came back in. A few chops and a kick. And a spin kick knocks him over the top rope onto the outside. It's going to be another count out or a double count out if he's not careful. Knocks down the steps, does Vader. Phillip Lafon does get back in the ring. Referee outside is telling Lafon's partner not to do what he's doing, but he pushes him aside, throws Vader back in the ring. Alright, right hand. And an Irish whip. From one corner to the other, reversal by Vader. into the corner belly to belly suplex gets up he puts the middle rope and it goes for here gets up one two three Alphonse's partner goes in there next. First flip, drop kick, actually knocks down Vader. Now it's that furnace. First flip, hold on to the rope so he doesn't get kicked. Tags in Mark Mero, goes in there.
and rights than the Gut by Furnace, no, no effect. Rights and lefts by Mark Mara. You could tell by the way he was throwing them, he used the box. He said it, but you can see it. It was for Sunset Flip, then two, one, two, and pull the, the tights to eliminate Mark Mara. Vader goes back in there, headbutt to Furnace. The check on him, so they handed her flowers or something. Okay, right, left, right, left, right, left. This was the style that he, Vader, used the style in Japan, so that's why, that's why he would do that in America because it worked so well for him. Whip. This is the clothesline. Clothesline of Pummy Furnace knocks down Vader. Tags in Bulldog. Ooh, right hand. Right hand. Forearm. Look more like a forearm. Gets uh, Vader into the corner. The cameraman had a shot close up of Goldust for a second. Can't really make out what was written on uh, the armband that, or whatever it was called, that Goldust was wearing. It goes straight into the center of the ring. Vertical suplex by Vader to Bulldog. Now he's getting to his feet. Saying no, it's not a good idea. Iron forearm by furnace. Four, five, six, seven, eight. Right hand, but still gets hit with that belly to back suplex. that were like half pants and half uh, shorts but it's the first time I see one with a full slit with a long sleeve and one with no sleeve and one side had no sleeve period that's, uh, that's not something you see a lot flying one for a pinfall Vader comes in after a tag Irish whip to the bulldog, runs a two a to Vader, excuse me, kick, and a and a clothesline. goes for it. Belly belly overhead suplex. Wow. Looks like two kick out. 
by Vader. Interesting. Frankensteiner gets him. Side two kick out by Vader. Vader kicks out, like they say. Got to hand it to Vader. Get back to his feet, and why is Goldust not making a tag? He's gonna have to tag him on the shoulder. Actually, slaps him. That's considered a tag. Precious version of Winter Wonderland Classic. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. throws him down, either going for the Fader Bomb or Fader Salt. Got, he's got the ring bell. One, two, three, eliminates that furnace. Bulldog, boom, hits uh, Fader with the ring bell. Pushes out of the ring with his foot. Looks like two, three. The only thing I could think of the story that was told at the end of that was he didn't see that he could beat Vader on his own, so he felt like he had to break the rules. Even though he was British by um, the fact that that's where he was born and raised, he lived in Canada, so that's why he was a as much of a hero as his brother-in-law Brett and his other brother-in-law Bill. Hmm. They even have a blimp, as they used to call it, of karate fighters flying.
this was nice of them. They, they had a super sup or something where the winner sweepstakes, winner got to have dinner with the superstar of their choosing. Jacqueline Cook from Columbia, South Carolina. Hmm. She was watching the uh, paper as they were talking. They asked her what superstar is she going to invite. She decided Stone Cold Steve Austin. Hmm. Interesting. He's told her that they'll be calling her momentarily and congratulations. So this is going to involve not just Kane, but The Undertaker also this match. After he officially retired at the recent Survivor Series, this is really interesting to look back at. Show Paul Bearer um, talking against Undertaker and bringing out Kane at the first during the first they were held in a cell. He said he would never fight his own brother, which would be Kane. That he's going to destroy everybody. Paul Bearer said this until they get to the Undertaker. And I always found it strange. All the mass wrestlers that they've had, and by this, I only knew naturally of the Patriot had a mask that you couldn't see his face. You could see. Couldn't see what he looked like underneath the mask. Couldn't see his chin or anything. But this was actually a little bit worse than the Patriots mask because Patriots mask was meant to be red, white, and blue because it symbolized America. <clears throat> they show a clip of Drew Love right here, retaliating against Kane before he could assault him. Did no good. Gets choke slammed right. In front of the uh, entrance ramp. And um, what I found was strange about it was it's not that you couldn't see the mouth on the mask, it's that that's not what was strange to me. What was strange was the fact that it was separate from the mask. 
them being all in one, like with Patriot, that's what made it look strange. I don't know why, um, that I forget just to simply just fast forward it. Comes out first for this match, does Kane. Now, can now, uh, Mankind's already out there. This is considered Kane's first ever match. So this is interesting to see. This. I'm gonna be honest though. This. See how dark both characters are, it's hard to watch. But fortunately, I think this is the last match before the main event. So I'm just going to back a little bit, see what um, happened at the end. <clears throat> okay, one with Tombstone Pile Driver. back is Michael Colt with standing with the commissioner and the uh, I'm not sure what he was at the time but it was it was Mr. McMahon said they had extra security around what was interesting was I had actually seen the end of this and actually seen this match on a DVD I had <clears throat> I think it may have been the 50 greatest moments or something in the history of the company 
and find out um, that to find out that um, it's really hard to put into words find out that what I saw was supposed to be um, not just what I saw but what everybody saw on pay-per-view and in person find out that it was not supposed to even be a title change it was supposed to be a um, <clears throat> it was supposed to be it was agreed upon that the title would not change hands it's really even more surprising and I'll tell you when it comes up why it was so surprising there's going to be a separate um going to add this to what's already been added to Anchor and I'll do a separate one um later on thank you Hello, this is Daniel Vayon. I was going to save this for my Launchpad show, but I think... Because, yeah, by the way, y'all gave me listeners out there on for Behind the Story podcast on Anchor.fm. Y'all got me to a thousand listens so forth. So I'll stay with this, um... With this service only um except for when I want to do shows like um when I want to do pay-per-views that have to do with uh either ruthless aggression or uh so think about it I don't think I don't think I should do a separate one so I'll stick this with my I'll stick to this with my a one and only podcast service for the moment. Okay. So. Um. <clears throat> excuse me. So what I'm going to do. Is before you listen to the. Part three of Survivor Series 97. I'm going to do something brand new. And I hope you all enjoy this. Because that's going to be a regular part. Of my show. Now I don't have a list of like say. The top. Promos in the history of wrestling. But I think. I think. Uh, taking a look at. Promos. They either set up matches or. Promos that help explain. Character. That help develop characters. Are perfect to look at. So, I'll start off with, um, the promo that helped set up the match with Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. And that was a good promo. Those two were good because it was reality-based. Everything coming out of their mouth, they really meant. Um, I hear this a lot on, for instance, Busted Open Radio. Where they will play the audio of something and then talk about it. So, <clears throat> that's what I'll do. Fortunately for me, 
the the promos happened. The paper on one of my favorite pay per views growing up. Now there were a lot. There were a few pay per views in nineteen ninety five that people thought were just horrendous. And for some reason, I think a lot of people thought Fall Brawl fell in that category. And I was the opposite. I thought Fall Brawl, I thought every match on Fall Brawl was great. Even even the TV title match. And the reason I say that is because the Renegade versus DDP was... There were moments when it felt like it... uh was one-sided, but that also showed how much DDP had developed just to carry it as far as he did. But aside from how one-sided that match was, it felt like that whole pay-per-view deserved more stars than it got, as far as the rating goes. So, I think it was after the beginning... Match, I think after Johnny B. Bad beat Brian Pillman to become number one contender for the U.S. heavyweight title, I think it was when they interviewed Ric Flair about it. Hmm. I would usually say what I remember from it, but I think, I think playing the audio of it and then talking about it it's a better idea. Now, to now to give y'all an idea for people who may never have seen these videos or even heard of this, to people who may have not even heard of the Orn podcast itself or heard it or heard the podcast at all, let me give um, insight into why these promos were so good or the importance of them. Orn Anderson said in the for Horseman DVD that he finally had enough of okay, to paraphrase what he said it had gotten to a point when Arn Anderson saw that Ric Flair took his him stepping in and um, defending him he took it for granted so um, so he decided not to help him anymore, and it all started in, a Clash of the Champions 31, I believe, when at the, the night, by the way, this, this too involved my favorite storyline from that year, the same night whenever they decided to... To, to turn the tables on uh, Colonel Parker in the storyline with Sister Sherry. 
same night that happened, Vader went against Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. And on Reddit, um, you can see on my uh, fantasy booking pay, my fantasy booking post, I rebooked the whole. I rebooked this um, this quote feud between Rick and Arn, and I said that if um. If I was to have done that, to have done that in those days, I would have, I would have had Arn Anderson turn on Rick and then say why he turned on him. That way, I believe, even though the money is not in them facing each other, it's them, it's in them being together. If you could, if you could draw people to watch this type of match, instead of just doing it. Without a, without a build-up. A true build-up would have been him turning on Ric Flair instead of just all of a sudden saying, No more, I'm done. It, and, uh... When it comes out of nowhere, people respond. <clears throat> but if it comes the way it did, people don't respond. And this is what actually did happen. Something happened where... In the in their handicap match, there was obviously some type of miscommunication, which led to Vader power bombing Arn Anderson to win the match, and Ric Flair got all upset with Arn, and that's when this whole thing started. Ric Flair made a face of disbelief, and that's when this whole th- and that's when it escalated. But what really helped set up the match before Fall Brawl happened was whenever he decided to not help Ric Flair anymore. And it started when Alex Wright, just Wonderkind, went against Ric Flair on a Saturday night show. And they used to have this on YouTube, but... Parts of the video were so old that they probably took it off because it was starting to get to where you couldn't watch it anymore. When when it got to the most important part of the promo between the two, you couldn't hear it. That's how that's how much it drag the tape dragged. So Ric Flair asked him, "Would you like for me to give you a lesson?" In the a rustling, rustling lesson, and he the, he said to our to Ric Flair, I beat that same punk in record time back at Slamboree. I don't think you're man up to give me any lesson. And what I thought helped the match was um, when he sat down and he spoke to the um, camera people. He said how he 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 revealed that on on a, in a personal level when they're not in front of the cameras, Ric Flair was not as happy as he should have been, and he didn't know what was wrong. So that was one point he made that um, was a good point, and he's and um. Ric Flair said to him in one of the build-ups that that they showed this before Arn Anderson uh, 
went out there. Before he started his promo against him, they they asked him about it, and he said how in that video they showed Ric Flair in a suit, saying, "I know you. I think you know what kind of man you are." But now I've got to show, prove to you why I've been where I've been for a lifetime. And that shows how good they are, but to go against each other, it's not going to work because they, are, because they are too good with each other. They don't, there's some people you can only, um, there's some people you can only book together. There's some people you can only book against each other. So if y'all are only known as associates, if that's how you get to help get somebody over is by being an associate of yours, it's not going to work any other way. That's why Ric Flair versus Sting, that's why he always, they always worked better against each other. But when he joined the Horsemen for about a month, that's why it worked whenever they turned on him. Because that's how he got him over was by being his opponent. So that's you got to always follow a formula. The formula for Sting and Ric Flair is facing each other. The formula for Arn Anderson and Ric Flair is being partners. So now that after explaining that, it's a... Let me play this, uh, the promo from Ric Flair. <laughs> this is where you have your roots. Asheville, North Carolina, nature boy. You and Arn Anderson, during the embryonic stages of your career, this is where it all began. And isn't it ironic that the two of you should return here tonight as adversaries? Doctor! Me! Symbol!
He's going to have to explain to his little boy. Or I'm going to have to explain to mine. There's only one king of the hill. In Alaska, North Carolina, styling and profiling, it's going to be the Nate Shepard. Thank you very much. From back to the locker room, Mary Lee, your boy, Ray Claire. Final comments before his meeting later tonight with the enforcer, Art Anderson. Let's get you back to the ring. And uh, I have to say about that, but talk about reality-based. Ever since Arn Anderson started being with Ric Flair, he was always billed as Ric Flair's cousin. Back when Arn, back when Ric Flair started in the South, because he was born and raised, was born in in Tennessee, uh, raised in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He started his career in um, the Carolinas. So he was always in the South. The strength in the South, as far as being a hill goes and drawing money, the strength was the Anderson family, Ole and Arn and Lars Anderson. And when he started there, Ole and Gene Anderson said to said to the booker there, let's call Ric Flair our cousin. So when he said right here um, that through everything they went through, him being um, adopted, that was breaking kayfabe, and in real life, he was adopted, by black market style. His family was lied to. So his whole life, he didn't know if he had relative. He didn't know if he had siblings or not because he was fine with the way things were, and he never he had a way finding out who his relatives were, but he just didn't see the need. Arn Anderson, by the way, when Ric Flair said he came from a broken home, the truth of that of that coin is that Arn Anderson, whose real life, who birth name is Marty Lundy, his mom and dad were not did not stay married. As a matter of fact, by the time he was fifteen, his mom had five was in was in five different marriages already and divorced through most of them. So that's why he came from broken home. His parents were actually his grandparents. If you consider your parents being the one that raises you, then that was actually his grandparents. And um, so that was the reality of that. And what he said made perfect sense. If you're gonna get in the ring with somebody and you're gonna make you wanna make people believe that um that you wanna win against that person, it has to be somebody you don't like. So when he said the problem is I love him, that makes perfect sense. When you get in that ring and this time it's not about wins or losses. It's just about who the better man is. And that happens to be your best friend who happens to be 
your oldest child's godfather, then yeah, it, it is more personal. In the sense that this is not somebody, not somebody you just, that just happens to help you. This is somebody you're friends with. That's what, like I told my mom. But I see the way today's society is, not just with government, but with with entertainment, then I would, I'll tell one thing. I know it was hard for them to face each other, but I'd rather go through that with a friend than, uh, than to, to do what is normally asked today. And... Because I know how big political correctness is in this country. I'm not going to be direct, but I would feel better having a fight scene my closest friend and pretending to hit him than to do anything else. So, and that's only if I was, and that would only be if that was in regular acting. Because when you see stars like Chuck Norris... One of his best, um, one of the most popular actors to be used in his, in his TV show, Walker, Texas Ranger. I think, yeah, used him in the beginning and last episode of Walker. The first episode and the last episode was a two-parter. So, he used him seven different times. And, of course, it's Marshall Teague. And that, that's his closest friend, he said. So, yeah, that's what makes me say the same thing. I would rather have to fight with him than, than to do anything else. Because that's acting. <laughs> it's easier to tell a story with a friend when you have to, when they have to pretend to be the enemy. It's easier to tell a story with a friend we have to pretend to fight with them. As a matter of fact, Charlotte Flair said when she went against her closest friend, and after a while it was hard to know if it was all pretend, but she said herself that when you go against your friend in the ring, you hit them harder than you hit a regular person. So somehow you get closer that way. <laughs> So, when you look at, um, all the scenes from this, it literally took about an hour to, uh, or an hour and a half before it was time for an Anderson's promo in this. This is even stronger than the than Ric Flair's promo. And as I wait for them to air the the vignette for this match, um, let me just share this. Ric Flair was a part of the booking team at this time. No, no. Not at this time. By this time, he was off the booking team because in his book, he said that when he refused to 
finish the Randy Sav his match with Randy Savage the way it was presented to him. And he did he did it the way he knew it would work. Got mad at him and they threw him off the team. So he back in um Back when uh, the Renegade won the TV title in June of this year was by beating Arn Anderson for the title, and they, the he was so um, skilled. I hate to say it like that, but he was actually so skilled, and as opposed to where the Ultimate Warrior, who, who he was trying to mirror his career after in WCW. Trying to pattern himself after the Ultimate Warrior, not just in the, his face paint and his and his look and everything and his hair style. But the problem was he could not rush through a match like Ultimate Warrior was. So I remember reading in Ric Flair's book and I couldn't believe Eric Bischoff said these words. Um, he he said it was too. He said that Renegade took too long to win the title. So wow. So when um he was talking about it with Ric Flair when they had a booking meeting after it. Ric Flair, Ric Flair just pointed out how the match shouldn't have happened at all. Because he knew as a professional in the ring that the ultimate, that even the Ultimate Warrior would not have taken that long. And he was not that skilled of a performer. So when you have somebody as skilled as Renegade was, you know, he didn't hurt anybody. I remember when he, his first title defense after this, um, was against Paul Orndorff, Mr. Wonderful. He did such a good job that he actually won with a belly-to-back suplex. And even though that match should have continued because Orndorff had a shoulder up, the fact he even did that move perfectly showed he was he was too skilled to even um, to even try to mimic the Ultimate Warrior. So this brings me to my point was Ric Flair was trying to come up with a booking idea to get Arn Anderson back in the TV title picture and Eric Bischoff said according to Ric Flair in his book said that you could wrap him up Arn Anderson up in crap and he wouldn't be able to draw a fly. When you just look at Arn Anderson's boots and his nickname for crying out loud that's enough to sell merchandise so so I just thought I'd share that and just say that I don't understand that thinking whenever he was the most his name was the most marketable nickname you can come up with double A that's why when you have for instance Austin Aries come out he had to change his nickname to A double because people think Arn Anderson when you say double A. That is how that is how much he could draw the crowd. Because people only think of you because of your nickname. 
And, um, and I was just thinking how underrated he is. He has got to be. I mean, he, this man, he and his former tag team partner, Tully Blanchard, they, both of them held the TV title longer than anybody. He, uh, he actually uh, held the title longer than Stunning Steve Austin. And Stunning Steve Austin, they used to claim, held it the lot was the longest reigning champion in WCW history. I read once that it was Arn Anderson was the longest reigning champion in the history of the NWA. So when you say can draw a fly, I don't buy that for a second. <laughs> what I what I should mention about this promo is uh. Or what I should mention from the storyline was talking about a lot of the reasons why this company did not last as long as, for instance, TNA or Ring of Honor did. Well, TNA were fortunate. They were able to find a group of people to buy it before Missing Man tried to. That's why they're still in business. But a lot of the reasons why they lasted as long as they did last was because they made smarter decisions like um, what they did with this storyline that was going too far was bringing their cameras to Arn's house and interviewing his wife and he said himself that he had no idea they were doing that so right here he got he got he stood in front of her and told them, turn the camera off. I don't want you interviewing her. They didn't listen, so he said, I said, turn that camera off. And it was if it wasn't for him raising his voice, it probably would have stayed on. And he said himself that that's why probably why he was against the Lana Lashley storyline is because. He knew that in reality, if you do that in real life, you're not going to, there's no way, and people know this is entertainment already, today's day and age. So if you do this, you do something like that, and um, you put that on TV, and it's, it's uh, scripted only, don't use your real spouse. Because it's going to, it's, it's too much pressure in that usually. Uh-huh. And uh he even there's another part where what they did that was so good in the story was when he there's a restricted area sign on a door. And he said that um, Ric Flair left him by himself. These were his exact words in this video. He, he said that um, Ric Flair had a match alright. He said the match is not there. It's not out there. It's with himself. He, uh, he, he went out the back door. He left me again.
And um, that's when they went to Ric Flair's comments, and then they showed how this time, this is not, there's no time for understanding, and that the only way to settle this was to face each other. And what I still find interesting is that he let enough, Ric Flair let enough gray out of his hair to where you could see, he's got, you could see the roots of his dark hair on the side of his head. And, um, they even showed, and they, instead of showing something dramatic with his family, Ric Flair's family, they showed him hugging his, his kids in a positive way. You could see David was already, um, starting to develop in his, he started to mature in his face where he started looking like he did when he was 19. Then his uh, his full sister was there, and it's amazing how much Charlotte looks like her. When that's that's not her full sister, that's her half sister. I'm talking about she lo- she still looks like her now, and uh, Charlotte's in her early thirties or mid thirties. That's why it's amazing. By the way, years ago I saw on Facebook somebody asked the general question in a in a um I think it was just a wrestling uh, room for fans. What do you think of this man? And I said one of the greatest talkers I've ever seen. It's some of the most serious promos I've ever I've ever heard of. And, um, I, I would put him up there with Randy Savage. Randy Savage, what a lot of people may not know is that he, he was not just very intense, but there were times when he was very witty with his words, and Arn Anderson could be just as witty himself. So I'd put him up there with a Randy Savage or somebody like that. given everybody as I've always called a spade a spade. I've either loved with a passion or I've hated with a passion and with a vengeance. And everybody has had a family member at one time or the other that was messing up. And you had to grab them and you had to shake them because words no longer matter. Well, Ric Flair, I've been back here. My stomach has been in knots. My heart's been pounding out of my chest, and I wouldn't be telling the truth if I didn't tell you I'm a nervous wreck because i got to trade fists with somebody that I love more than God itself. You understand? You've been a brother to me when I didn't have one. Now you hear what he said? Itself? But it's something that's got to happen because when I get up in the morning and look in that mirror, i got to answer to me. And if you don't stand up in this world, all a man can do is stand up and live by his word, right or wrong. Tonight, I give Asheville, I give the world, and I give you, Ric Flair, my word on this. I'm going to give you all I got as a man, and win, lose, or draw. Trust me, 
I'm going to respect myself in the morning, and you're going to respect me. All right, the man is headed to the ring. I'd ask Rick Flip. Oh, good. I didn't realize it was paused. I thought it stopped altogether. So, what I say about that? Um, actually, I say, I say that, um, I did not realize before just how meaningful that promo was, but whereas it didn't, it actually, it was, it actually was more confusing in the match than it was before. All he said was he was messing up, but he didn't explain how he was messing up. So, you know, of course, they were going to get more confused by that. But the way he presented it and it set up, the match was perfect. The setup was perfect, but because there was no story, no, there the backstory was simple. He wanted... And the narrator said this. He felt like Ric Flair was just holding on, but he wasn't showing any desire to win in the matches. But why let it get this far getting in the ring? So no, so that's why I still feel like would have been better to just book them losing and having Arn Anderson turn on him. Instead of having Arn Anderson take the loss. That would have been easier to, to set up this match that way. Having a better storyline to work off of would have let, would have ended up being a much better match. Now, the way they handled it in the post-match was great. So, these two promos were five-star promos. Just the match itself just didn't live up to it because there's no story to... To Russell in. So. That's what I think about these promos. Now. To break it down like this. What he said about. Feeling nervous to the point of throwing up. Um. And he actually did throw up. After he. After he cut this promo he said. Um. He found a close, the closest trash can he could, and he threw up. So, that's how nervous he was. And then when Ric Flair went to the ring, he was crying. You can literally see he was almost in tears having to do this. And the most... And I was... In order to show, talk about... Point out how important this was, Colonel Parker, whose men just wrestled, he came... He came through, he went through the back, and he came around with um, Bubba Rogers and Eddie Guerrero and Brian Pillman. Um, I'm not real, and Marcus Bagwell and Scotty Riggs, the American Males, and they were all sitting down to watch this match. That's how big of a deal this match was. Um... What saved this match, and Arn Anderson said in so many words that this all happened, this was all planned by them, I think. Arn Anderson said in the Ric Flair 
and a Four Horsemen story that they Arn and Rick came together and at, and he had just asked Rick, What do you think of Pillman? And he said, I love him. He's one of my favorite guys. He's got a ton of guts. So Rick Zorn said, Let's do it. So that's how they that's how they were able to slowly build up to the to um the what was the second to last variation of the original horseman. And that's when they put even though the way he entered his life was terrible, that's when they brought in uh Chris Benoit after that. So why why I believe they st- they set up the end before the match even happened was because P- it was Pillman who played the main factor in it. I always say this when talking about this match. Brian Pillman's involvement saved this match. If it wasn't for Pillman's involvement, we ran through the barricade, jumped up on the on the apron, and he started jacking, jaw jacking with uh, Ric Flair. He hit Ric Flair where the right where the eye is. Ric Flair hit him back, and then he kicked Ric Flair in the back of the head where the ear is at. And that's how the match ended. So, promos were great. The match was great as far as their ability in the ring. The story was terrible because there was no story to build on. So, that's what I think about the promos. I hope you all like it, and goodbye.